Hi, I'm Otto. Welcome to Ellen Sarah's podcast. Okay, if you're a woman and if you have ever made a dollar, this episode is for you. Um, I don't also, know. if you're a man, yeah, I feel. Listen, Tori Dunlap, we just had the most amazing conversation with her, and she's the founder and the CEO of the financial education company, Her First Hundred Thousand. Um, and she also has a book called Financial Feminist: Overcoming the Patriarchy's Bullshit to Master Your Money and Build a Life You Love. It's a guide to everything that you need to know. We had such a good conversation. We had disagreements. We have we had debates about money and socialism and how to budget your money, how to invest your money. I mean, we really, I think in this episode, you're going to walk away with like actual tools. You're going to walk away excited to get your finances in order. Money Capitalism. That's what I was waiting to say. Yeah. Money doesn't money doesn't have to be scary. This is an episode for people who are making minimum wage for people who are making seven figures. This is an episode for people that have accountants or who do their own, you know, finances. Do not themselves. avoid this episode. Listen on. Yeah, I would agree. Do not avoid Do not avoid this episode. This Actually, episode. I think that's what the title should be called. Do not avoid this episode. Mm, okay, I'll think about it. Okay, we'll discuss. Okay. Enjoy. Hi Tori. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? What city are you in? Seattle. Ooh, nice. I like Seattle. You guys in LA? We're in LA. All right. I cool. am. Whoa. Sorry. I'm, I'm just, I, you know, I hear the word finance and I just, my ears perk up and I get all stressed out and sweaty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Break out in hives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, I don't perk up when I hear finance. I hear, I think, um, that it's the last conversation I want to have. I considered calling a tick today, actually. I wake up at oh. three in the morning mm-hmm. in a cold sweat thinking, Oh my God, how much money do I have? I don't even know how much money I like. I am so stressed out by money. So we're excited to have you here because I think that a lot of women can relate to this. Mm -hmm. And um, we want to dive in. It's very brave of you to be a woman willing to speak about this. I appreciate that. I don't think it's that crazy brave. We're more likely to talk about anything else before we'll talk about money. So people are likely to talk about sex, death, politics, religion, but it shouldn't be. I, I don't think, you know, people get naked with people before they'll have a conversation about money. Isn't that so interesting? It's crazy to me. Oh, when you say that, I just, I mean, I, it takes me back to the early stages of my relationship with who I, my partner, who I've now been with for 16 years. And I just remember the fear around telling him, I can't afford a plane ticket to come visit you. Like I was mm. too ashamed to ask him to buy it for me because I wanted to appear like, oh, I had all my shit together, but I was too yeah. afraid to ask someone who had a lot of money, him, to buy my ticket. I mean, it I, it just takes me back to so much fear. But you'd and- already slept with him? Oh yeah, I'd already slept with them. Mm-hmm. So we spend the entire first chapter of my book, we're just diving right in, the entire first chapter of my book talking about the emotions of money because I can't teach you how to get out of debt. I can't teach you how to create a budget without that doesn't make you want to die. I can't teach you how to invest until you start to understand what sort of emotional hangups do you have about money. And this is going to blow your mind. The vast majority of our money habits are cemented by age seven. Whoa. Meaning that unless you work to change them, the way you view money will have been cemented by second grade for the rest of your life. And you could very clearly see that if it's age seven, that means that your family, your parents, your guardians, whoever is raising you is your financial example. And if you don't have a great financial example, which most of us do not, then a lot of things start making sense. So it would be interesting to actually ask both of you. We 
in the book, in the first chapter, we talk about what is your first money memory? What is the first time you remember thinking about money? And what does that say about your relationship with money now? And for me, it was, I, I was a theater kid. I actually majored in theater. I did not major in finance, did not major in business. I was a communications and a theater double major. And I wanted to go see Annie the Musical. And I saved up all of my change in a little Altoids tin because my mom told me, if you want something, you got to save money for it. That's the first money memory I have which was a relatively positive one. Yeah, very positive. For the vast majority of people out there, it's not so positive. Very okay, Aaron. I just want to first and foremost say, I love your vibe. Yeah, me too. You, hey, thanks. No, no, you come out, you're ready to go. You're mm -hmm. ready oh, to yeah. give us the facts. You're ready to help us. Mm -hmm. You're not trying to like be friends or chit chat. You're like, <laughs> let's- Well, that's rude. We could also be friends. No, but I'm not friends, 100%. Yeah. No, but I'm like, I'm like, I don't believe in inspiration porn, which is like hype yes. people up and like tell them they can live their dream, their big dreams. And then you don't tell them how, right? It's like every conference you've ever been to and you watch the keynote speaker and they're like, you can live big. Just stop playing small. Dream your big dreams. You are worthy. And then you're like, cool. And then you leave and you're like, I don't know how to get any of what you told me yeah. I am. So like all these like wellness experts are like, you can do it. Breathe. It's like your husband's rich. Like I can breathe all day long, but you don't have a mortgage. So of course you're sleeping. Of course you're sleeping well at night. Okay. Aaron, what's your first money memory? Well, okay. So I was just thinking about it when you were saying it. And it's interesting. We've talked about this before. Sarah and I have really, really different financial personalities as adults. Sarah mm. always thinks she's poor and I always think I'm rich. And so we grew up in the same household, but we had really different childhoods. And um, we are Nepo babies. And so when we grew up, I always thought we were really rich because our dad was really successful and all my friends told me that I was rich and I was more rich than all of them because I went to public school and Sarah went to private school. All mm. Sarah's friends were like flying in private planes and were, were like the daughters and sons of celebrities. And so to them, she was like not as rich as them. I was like the normal girl. <laughs> she was like normal and I went to public school and so all my friends were like, you know, my best friend I remember like stole money from me once and I was like so pissed about it. And she was like, I used it to buy groceries. And I was like, huh, I've never thought of that before. I never thought that none of my friends could like not afford their groceries. I had yeah. a, an allowance every week that I didn't even know what to do with the money. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have a driver's license. So I didn't know what to spend it on. And she like needed money for groceries. So I always felt super, super lucky and privileged. So I still live my life like that where I always feel like I have enough and more than I ever need and more than a lot of people. And Sarah has different memories from our childhood because our parents were divorced and our mom kind of put more pressure on her about child support ch checks not coming in and um, the different lifestyle we I were living. I knew if the child support check was late. Like I knew because she would tell me. Like I have vivid memories of her stressed that that check didn't come in. Now, let, let, let us just say our dad was very generous with those things. It wasn't like, you know, and maybe she wasn't spending things correctly. But so for me, I always am worried that I'm going to not have anything. I'm always worried that like it's all going to go away or that I'm going to wake up and have nothing or that I'm going to like I have all these thoughts at three o'clock in the morning, which is why, you know, I'm so obsessed with making money where Aaron is like, not afraid to spend money because she's like, well, I'm just going to keep making money. I, I know I will. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm also, like, I don't know. I'm if sure. I will. For, I'm sure for a lot of kids too. Like, like to Sarah's point, it wasn't that we weren't going to be able to pay, you know, our mortgage or anything like that. But money gets used as power in a divorce. So, yep, the person with the money has all the power. 
I would argue money gets used as power in every aspect of our lives and in every aspect of society to take it even one step further. You're 100% right, though. Relationships, money is power. Um, and in a beautiful way, money can be used powerfully to change the world. And in a not so beautiful way, money can be used as power to change the world. Yeah. And I think that's one thing, too, that I think if people who didn't grow up with like a great money story think that the pursuit of wealth is wrong. And we have a whole section in my book, Financial Feminist, about this of like people think, oh, especially women, we are conditioned to believe that the pursuit of money or the pursuit of wealth is bad or immoral, right? And it's like, it's a stack of government issued paper. It has no moral value, right? It's what you do with that money. You can either use money as a tool to build a life that you love and to change society and to make a more equitable playing field, or you can use money to hoard and to, you know, gain power in a really negative way. And we see plenty of people doing that. But like the pursuit of wealth is not bad or wrong, but it is power. A hundred percent. You're a hundred percent right about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have a couple of friends like you know, I, I know some friends who are just really, really wealthy, like just like billionaires and other people really are so careful around them and so careful mm. to like to to dismiss them, not invite them somewhere, say anything bad, correct them. And I always think like, what is it? It's just it's just the fact that they have money, like just because the off chance of the, that that person wants to invite you on their boat at some point, you just want to make sure you're like on good terms with them. Like it, it really protects that person from having the experience with people that everybody else is having. Can I ask you a really difficult question? You can cut it if it makes you uncomfortable. Okay. Do you believe that billionaires should exist? Okay. So Montana and I had this conversation recently. I think that it would... Okay. Here's what I think. I think that if you took away people's desire to make money, if you had like a you know socialist society where nobody had more than the other person, then the world wouldn't be able to function because you have to have that mm. um, drive to earn and to earn more than somebody else and to like have a better life that makes you go do the job that you don't want to do or makes you like work up the ranks to get to the position that you want to end up in. I don't believe that anybody would get up and like go to work if they weren't making money at it and it wasn't giving them a lifestyle. Mm, but interesting. I do not believe that somebody needs a hundred billion dollars. Does somebody have that? That exists? Oh, hundreds plenty of people. Of, hundreds have of that. billions. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was making sure that so it didn't like cap it, like, you know, I don't I know. Think, I mean, no what? I'm going to literally Google like Elon Musk net worth at this point. I don't think like, there's like a ton of people with $100 billion. There's probably like 20 people, maybe. Too many. Um, He's at, he's at 151, 151 oh, by billion. By the way, that's at a low for him. <laughs> he's at a real low. Christ. He's at a low. That's I do so not know. I don't think that somebody needs that. And I don't think that somebody should be able to have that. So I don't know how it would Bezos work. Bezos like, is at 119. Could we cap it at a billion? Like, could we, I mean, capping it at a billion seems really fair. But there's a couple things to, this here. And I am more of a capitalist than anyone in this room, I'm sure. I What I don't think is fair, first and foremost, is how I am paying more taxes than Elon. Mm -hmm. That is not fair. If the really, really uber wealthy were paying taxes in the way that they should, then I'm good with it. You build up a business, it becomes that successful. You make that kind of money. You have those kinds of stock options because of the business you built. Fine. But out of that hundred billion, 50 billion of it better be taxed, right? But it's not. I mean, I pay more, we all pay more taxes than Elon. And that's fucked up. Also, and I'm sure you have, I want to hear what your opinion is on this. I'm Amazon Prime, my membership went up a dollar a month uh, because they had to raise the prices, but like the workers aren't getting paid more. And Jeff Bezos yep. has like billions and billions of dollars. Why am I paying more every month for my membership when 
The workers are making mm-hmm. money and the owner is making all the money. That to me is very backwards. So I want to hear your take about billionaires. And I live in Seattle where I have seen firsthand the amount of both prosperity, but really honestly, the amount of like grief Amazon has caused our city. Like it has completely changed Seattle. And I would argue in a pretty negative way, like the wealth gap has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's also, it's, it's just so interesting to watch. Um, I, I am a socialist. Um, here's why I don't like capitalism for many reasons, but I'll give you the top two. It was actually really interesting what you said about like people working and like no one would get up in the morning and work unless like capitalism existed. I think the biggest issue with capitalism at the individual level is that we equate our worth with our work, right? And it's like, we are not human beings. We are human doings right now, right? It's not enough to just exist in the world and to love really deeply and to have beautiful relationships and to take care of one another in community. It is, how do I outwork somebody else in order to progress potentially at the cost of that person. And also my worth as a person is caught up in my output and my productivity. And I feel bad as a person if I just have a day or a week or a month or a year where I can't work or can't function in the same way that I should be able to. And there's actually a stat I mentioned in the book, we can actually put a price on a human life Capitalism puts a literal price on a human life. And in case you're curious, it's $7 million for men and it's less for women because the worth to society and to capitalism, you can literally put a price tag on. It's not enough to just exist. It's not enough to just be a person. You have to be judged and your quote unquote success in life is based on your output or your productivity. We talked about this in one of our last episodes is because you know, everybody is on the hustle now because of social media and the Etsy's of the world, all those things, you are now looked down on if you're a stay-at-home mom. Like the hardest job in the world, our mother, stay-at-home mother, those women are now like, oh, these like losers. Like what are you even doing with your life? All Like that is how society now looks at, hold on, which is why I think women especially are now going, oh God, Am I not worthy enough? Okay, I, I should create a business. Okay, I'm gonna go use my money and get this jewelry thing going on, which you don't give a fuck about starting a jewelry business. You're just doing it because you're yep. not feeling seen. I hope well, it's also the have it all, right? We don't ask men, how do you have it all? Mm-hmm. How can you have it all, mm-hmm. right? For women, and especially we start calling them at her first center K non compensated working moms because they are working moms. Right. They're just not getting paid for it. Totally. Right. And my mom was a stay at home mom and a non compensated working mom. And you're exactly right, right? There's this feeling of like, I don't have hobbies. I don't have a hobby because I have either monetized the hobbies I do have. Her first hundred K, this business that I love, started as a side hustle that I monetized. I don't have hobbies. I read and I think that's it. Like I literally had a previous partner who was like, what do you do for fun? And I'm like, honestly, I'm not sure (sighs) because capitalism has been rooted so far and down in my veins and my bones that I'm like, oh, if it is not making money, if it is not like making me a better person in order to make more money or in order to be more productive, then it's not worth doing. But But, by the way, hold on. I I had a point. You let me give it to you. I have a counter, which is that people need purpose. 
And work for a lot of people gives them purpose. And for a woman, but and what the, if but the reason why care wasn't tied to work. No, no, I agree with that. Hold on. Right? I, I believe yeah. in personal capitalism. I do not believe that capitalism mm. has any place in medicine, pharmaceuticals, education, politics. I don't believe it has any place there. But I believe that a person needs to feel like they have purpose. And in, for not everybody, but some people in the best case scenario, your job is tied to the thing that you love to do or the thing that you're good at. And for these women that create jewelry lines on Etsy, a lot of moms feel unfulfilled. A lot of moms well, feel true. like a kid pulling on them and you're whining all day and like, you know, debating with them whether they can have the candy bar or not, like doesn't fulfill them. It's a beautiful, it's the most beautiful thing on earth, but you need that thing where someone values your but brain. But I think it was more fulfilling 20 years ago. I think they're feeling less fulfilled now because they're on social media seeing all these people. I don't think that's true. I think that women in the 50s who are housewives and weren't asked what their opinion was and had to have dinner on the table, I do not believe that that woman on average was more fulfilled than the woman is today. I mean, women have a lot more to offer than to just make children and be someone's friend and like go to lunch. I, I know plenty of women who don't have jobs, don't have careers. They go to lunch, they hang out, they spend money. Uh, these women are not fulfilled. Like I, I think we need Sounds purpose. good to me. I want to do that. You would, you no. choose to work. I mean, you're not that person. Like it's not, I don't think well, it's fulfilling. I don't choose to work. I have to work. What are you talking about? Well, I don't choose to work. Well, you, but okay, I love, sure. I love work. But what I was saying before is we need purpose, but I don't, I don't think all purpose has to come from work. Like I definitely get a lot of purpose from my work, but it's kind of like the classic question. If you really love somebody, would you, would you, or if you really love something, would you do it and not get paid? Right. And it's like plenty of people who have passions, right? Do them because like nonprofit workers, social workers, nurses, they're not out here making a paycheck, right? They're doing it because, you know, either they love it or they, they see the impact it has. Right. And it's like, why aren't we valuing that work as much as we're valuing? Yeah, but being a nurse, traders, like, but right? We should definitely value also, that. We should definitely be valued. But being that. a nurse is also a high paying job, isn't it? I mean, okay, fine. Not sometimes not compared plenty to of, sometimes not. It, it depends. It depends on where you live. It depends on a lot of factors, right? It depends on, did you take out $100,000 of undergraduate loans in order to become a nurse? Do you work in the middle of Iowa or do you work in San Francisco, right? Like all of these are very different. Ah, Sakara, guess what? We just got our mother for her birthday this January. We got her a month of Sakara food because that's what she wanted. She wanted to do a reset Sakara has all organic meals. They also have a ton of wellness essentials. It delivers right to your door. It's all plant-based. It's all organic. They always highlight an ingredient that is a superfood, an antioxidant that you need in your life, something that's hydrating. It's delicious. And we're really learning from recent episodes that, and we knew this before, but it's just re- uh, re-confirming? Re- re-examining? Re- no, reconfirming that the food you eat, the things you eat, it is truly, it's it's medicine. Mm-hmm. You are giving yourself medicine. You are changing your life with the food you put in your body. Exactly. So how cool to have a company like Sakara that will deliver these meals right to mm-hmm. your door. And, and you they are yeah. science-backed, plant-rich yeah. nutrition programs, wellness essentials. They come right to your door. They are ready to eat meals. They are nutritionally designed to deliver results. You could do weight management. You could do if you're having bloating or you need more energy or clearer skin. So I would say just right, try so right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off your first order when you go to sakara.com slash foster or enter foster at checkout. That is Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash foster to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash foster. 
Wait, I am dying that we are talking about article right now because I just reached out to them because mm. there's a cabinet of theirs that I want. Mm. And it why'd was, you reach out to them? Why didn't you just buy it? I wanted a discount and I didn't know we were doing them again. And I got so excited just seeing it because um, also it was kind of backward. And I was like, any chance you could like speed mm. this up for You're me? Just trying to like get to the top of the line. Well, you know, I don't know if you see all this alcohol back here, but we need something to put it in. Mm -hmm. And um, Alicia, who's helping me decorate the condo, said, there's this great piece on article. We, um, we've been talking about article since the beginning of the podcast. It is, um, you don't have to spend what you think you have to spend to have a really chic home. You just don't. And they have found all the latest and greatest styles for that modern look, like those boucle chairs, the little side tables, like cl that clean, chic, elevated aesthetic. But for like a price that you actually are like, wait, what's the catch? It doesn't even actually make sense. Mm -hmm. Article's the easiest way to make your space look beautiful. Um, they also have fast, affordable shipping all across USA and Canada. Um, shipping is also free on orders over $900. But you know why they keep their prices down. So, because we were like, what is the catch? This doesn't even make sense. What they've done is it's really smart. They've totally cut out the middleman. They sell directly to you. There are no showrooms, no salespeople, no retail markups, which is how they're able to keep the prices at what they are. Right. So it's pretty incredible. You end up saving 30% over traditional retail prices. So Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, you can visit article.com slash foster and the discount will automatically be applied at checkout. That is article, A-R-T-I-C-L-E dot com slash foster for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. I want to get to tools and things like that, but I just, it is interesting having, it's like when we're talking yeah. about and this. And I just wanted to ask, cause I think it's really curious. And yeah. especially with your guys' upbringing, like I, you know, it's a very, of course, a very different upbringing than I had, but also I have a shit ton of privilege just as someone who was able to go to college and was able to graduate debt-free. And like, I, the more I've learned, the less I love capitalism, <laughs> just with how, how broad the wealth gap is and with every sort of like, it, it means you've exploited somebody. Like if you are winning at capitalism, it means you've probably exploited somebody. But I also don't want to lose capitalism because that means deep suffering for myself and other people. And unless you like have a Discovery Channel show where you're like on a homestead in Alaska and you're not participating in capitalism, like we all have to participate. And so it's just really interesting to think about like, how do you navigate this world and hopefully do the least amount of harm possible? This hustle and obsession for wealth, I think, is trickling through the um, all classes, right? Like billion people who are worth like one billion, they're like, no, I need to be worth five billion, right? People yeah. who are actors, singers, people with real talent who love and have crafted this this talent are like turning their back on it to like go start companies because it's like this thing now. I mean, I have friends who are actresses who are brilliant actresses who are like feel like that's not enough. And they've like turned their back on that and they're trying to like build businesses because it's this thing, right? This hunger that we're seeing from our peers, from other people. Like it's not just the stay-at-home mom in Iowa that's looking to start a business. It's people who are making- Already successful. Already successful. Like, like in their own craft going, 
this isn't good enough. If I don't have my own company, if I'm not a founder, if I don't have a liquor brand, then I'm not doing enough. It's like, no, no, you've won an Academy Award. Like you're good. Well, that's why if we had like some kind of cap on like, okay, make a billion dollars and then you're kind of good yeah. to go. You no need to make like every, all money you make on top of that goes back into the well. But like, but, I'm not going to lie. Right. I'd love to make a billion dollars. Like I'm not going to lie. I'd love to sell favorite daughter for a billion dollars. Like I would. Mm-hmm. What would it, I can't sit here and what would you like? What makes you feel like, okay, I want a billion dollars. I mean, no, I mean like, what's the thing you think? Like you think, okay, I'll, I can relax or I feel yeah, safe I mean, I guess or I can I take feel care like of someone. If we, we sold our company for a billion dollars, like, yeah, like I'd buy our mom a house. Like I would never have to wake up at three in the morning stressed. I would, but you could buy our house if we made a hundred million dollars. I don't know after taxes and paying <laughs> off all the people. What kind of what kind of house are you? Getting? She only well, needs like a two bedroom. That's the interesting thing is people right. are asking me. I have you know a couple million, and people are asking me like, at what point is that enough? And I'm like, that's an interesting question. And I think there is a difference in hustle too. There's a difference between hustling from one billion to five billion, and the hustle of I can't honestly make ends meet. I am living paycheck to paycheck, right? And capitalism is benefiting the hustle of people who already have a billion dollars and don't need to want for anything to get to 5 billion and is not benefiting the people who are hustling and trying to make ends meet the single mom working 60 hours who can't rub two nickels together. Like that is the kind of person that's getting left behind. And we live in a, we have a system. I mean, cause here's the thing. We're talking about extremes, right? On one extreme, you have people yeah, with $150 sure. billion. Dollars, and then the other extreme, we're talking about socialism where like no one can really make any money. Yeah. There's gotta be some in between where we're like, you know, the billionaire is completely immune to the IRS and completely immune to getting a, a bill that they can't pay. But the person who are getting the bills that they can't pay is the single mom, like the woman that I saw on the internet a month ago who was put in jail overnight because she like couldn't pay her gas bill. And mm. it was like, you know, I mean, there was started to go fund me and we all put money in and paid everything off from hers, which was like part of the beautiful part of the internet. But the system is so rigged and fucked up that if we were valuing the right things, if we were taking capitalism out of the things I'd said before, out of education, out of the medical system, out of pharmaceuticals, out of politics, and politicians were actually fighting for the because they cared about them, not because someone, you know, gave them money or donated to them. And medicines were actually being given to you because you needed them, not because that doctor is getting a kickback for them. Then yeah. I think it would be more appropriate for us to focus on personal wealth because it would, would be less dirty. Yeah. Well, and you also have to think about, of course, and I'm happy to move on from this topic, but it's just juicy and fun. It's so fun. I mean, it's what? 1%, right? The 1% of people hold 99% of the wealth. So there is this massive gap, right? It's either people who will, you know, the billionaires and then literally everybody else, even the doctor who makes $600,000 a year, right? Like the, the gap is so wide that it is billionaires versus pretty much everybody else. Now, of course, at the microcosm level, Plenty of differences between someone who does make $100,000, $200,000, $300,000 a year and someone who makes minimum wage. Very different individual realities for both of those people. But if we're talking zoom out, like, you know, look at the globe and look at the Milky Way, right? That version, we have two very, very different camps. And one holds the majority of the wealth while the other one doesn't. I mean, I do want to transition. I do want to transition to understanding and learning from you how you made your few million and your story and all that. Well, I want it, but but we have to bridge it in some way because no, I I, understand. Okay. Okay. Sarah, go, go, go. Okay. It better be a good point though, because I have a good one. No, it's not a good point. It's a question. Okay. Yeah. Can you explain to me, and it's probably an answer I should know, but explain to me how in my mother's generation, the milkman was able 
to have a really nice life. The milkman was able to have a three-bedroom home, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being able to eat out a couple times a week, like a nice life, right? Like there was not a struggle for the fucking milkman. So explain to me how we're now in a position where teachers are also driving Uber Eats and still potentially homeless. Or have an OnlyFans account. Which I totally support for them, but keep going. I, w- I will say I'm not an, a- an economist, but many things. Um, goodness, where do we start? Um, it's, it's kind of the millennial joke that we've had the once in a lifetime tragedy about every four or five years, right? It was like nine 11, uh, huge recession, occupy wall street, Trump gets elected, like uh, global pandemic, like all of global pandemic and nine 11 and a recession happened in a 20 year span. Like, that's wild. Again, we were talking about before this, like, widening gap. Um, Things are more expensive. We all feel inflation. Things are way more expensive than they used to be. I live in Seattle. I know you live in Los Angeles. You want to buy a nice two-bedroom house here? That's going to cost you at least $850,000. At least. And it's like, of course people can't afford that. So it's it's a combination of a lot of things. It is rising costs. It is a stagnating minimum wage. The minimum wage has not risen to meet all of the costs. Um, lack of paid family leave in this country. There is no paid family leave. We are the only, quote, industrialized country that does not require paid family leave at the federal level. Um, By the way, Germany and- gets like a year. Moms in Germany yeah. get literally mm-hmm. a year and they get like a nanny. I mean, granted, they pay 50% taxes, but what they get for those taxes... This is why I love socialism, but we can talk about that another yeah. time. But like, truly, I think that um, that one of the things that I talk about in my book all of the time and in our work is that people think personal finance is 100% personal choices. Like, if you do not have X, you did not work hard enough, right? If you're not a millionaire, you didn't work hard enough. If you're not able to make ends meet, you're just not working hard enough. And it's about 20% personal choices, right? It's 20% understanding how to pay off debts, understanding how to budget, not overspending, mindfully spending, and about 80% circumstances, including but not limited to racism, ableism, sexism, homophobia, recession, again, paid family leave, minimum wage, all of the other things. And if we want to see substantial change, it's not at the individual level. It's not like us necessarily changing our money. It is changing policy and putting leaders that we want to see in office and demanding that they actually do the things that they committed to do. And that's like a gray, murky answer. So the milkman in the 1960s who could afford the house, a lot of things are different in the the last 60 years. He didn't work any harder than uh, the equivalent of a milkman today. He just wasn't living in a different time than we are. So what my question was, and I think it's a good transition out of this conversation, which I really like this conversation. Me too. Is how, what is your position on, you know, you write a book that helps people learn how to make money, but we're sitting mm-hmm. here and you're saying that it kind of goes against your <laughs> ethos as a human being. Uh-huh. Wow, so Barbara, I want to understand, are you kind of mm-hmm. like, if you can't beat them, join them? Great question. This is something I've grappled with for five or six years because I literally sat nine months into writing my book and I had a full crisis. I was in Malibu actually on a beach with my friend and I was like, I, what's the point? Because if all of these are systemic issues, a book called Financial Feminist is not going to solve it. 
it's not going to solve it. I am well aware of that. So at that moment, I was like, what's the point then? What's the point? And the truth is, is that I don't know if this will change the entire world, but I think it will change people's lives at the individual level. We, uh, as women, are taught to play small. We are taught to constantly shrink ourselves and our goals and our dreams. And what happens is we're, we're so conditioned to be altruistic that we're putting everybody else's oxygen mask on first and we're dying because of it. And so financial feminism to me is this idea that if you put your own oxygen mask on first, if you are able to save money and pay off debt and invest and take care of yourself and build that financial foundation, not only can you then put other oxygen masks on and help other people do that, but we can also create a plane where everyone gets an oxygen mask. Because to round it back, if money equals power, right, women need more money and women need more power. Now, does this solve the global inequality crisis? Fuck no. But does it hopefully change people's insights about money, their perspectives about money, and their willingness to unabashedly pursue wealth to not only take care of themselves, but to also start changing the system that exists? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, listen, guys, we need fucking money, right? We all need money. So let's talk to because our- Because we are in a capitalist society, right? I was yeah. talking about before. I don't want to win capitalism because that means I've exploited somebody. But also if I choose to not participate, I'm either homesteading, which no, thank you. I don't want farms or like I, like I will suffer. So it is for me, like her first hundred K financial feminists, these resources that we give are survival guides to navigating the system that exists in the hope that once you're taken care of, we can start changing that system for people that it disenfranchises because cisgender straight white man have been hanging out for way too long in positions with money and power. Also, really rich people, there's so many hacks. They're always getting around the system, right? (laughs) There's so many fucking hacks. Aren't there hacks for like normal people? Not really, not to the same like tax evading level. No, like there's no even Cayman Island shit for the average Montana, person. Montana, what was the thing you were just saying that you and Allison, that what's it called? You guys just a Roth RIA. Okay, for instance, I've never heard of that. No one I know has ever heard of that. Why? Why don't we all know to do that? Like there are things that we can be doing from the beginning mm-hmm. that will help us, right? But yeah. no one's talking about it. So let's talk yeah. about it now. Yeah. So one of the narratives we discuss in the book is that talking about money is taboo. We started this conversation with this, right? We are more likely to talk about any other uncomfortable topic before we'll talk about money. And my not so conspiracy conspiracy theory is that is a narrative meant to keep women and other marginalized groups underpaid and overworked. Because if you don't talk about money, you don't know that Kevin, who got hired two years after you, makes 20% more than you. And you also don't know what a Roth IRA is. And you don't know how to navigate uh, the stock market because it feels intimidating and run by Wall Street bros named Chad. And you also feel deeply, deeply insecure about debt you might have knowing or not knowing really because you're not talking about it, that plenty of other people also feel this sense of shame and fear and judgment. And so really when we're when we're talking about financial feminism and we're talking about bettering your money, that starts with vulnerability and talking about money because you better believe men are talking about money. They're talking about the bonuses they pulled in and their stock performance. But we have been conditioned as women to not talk about it. And I, again, believe it's a conspiracy theory in order to keep us underpaid and overworked. So something like a Roth IRA, I'll explain exactly what it is. The average person out there can take advantage of it. It is a retirement account, individual retirement account, hence IRA. It is a government 
incentivizing thing, right? They're incentivizing you to save for retirement by offering you tax breaks. So they're like, hi, if you put money into this account for your own retirement, you pay less in taxes. Now there's two kinds of IRAs. Wait, but that makes there's it sound like that makes oh, it sound ahead. like the government is on our side and like wants us to save money for the future. Is that true? This is like the only time that yeah. the government's like, here, here's a carrot. I know. Like I'm like, what is the catch here? I don't understand. There is really no catch. It's just like you're still doing the shit. Like you're putting the money in yourself. It's not like the government is also giving you money or anything like that. Social security in theory is that, but like who knows if social security will be around by the time me as a 28-year-old is going to retire? Like probably not. So Basically, that's what they're trying to do is they're like, hi, you're actually going to save us some money (laughs) if you put money away yourself and we'll give you some tax breaks for doing so. So there's two kinds of IRAs. There's a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. And that's what she was mentioning was a Roth IRA. The difference is in how they're taxed. A traditional IRA means that you're going to pay the tax when you retire or when you withdraw the money. A Roth IRA means you pay the tax now because the government wants you to pay tax at some point. It has to have you pay tax at some point. I personally like the Roth for two reasons. One, it's like giving 65-year-old me a little gift because it's like, hey, here's this lump sum of money that 20-something-year-old or 30-something or 40-something-year-old me paid the tax on. Go have fun. Go take your much younger Pilates instructor named Luca on a hot trip to Cabo and drink Sauvignon Blanc with lunch, which is my real life retirement plan. (gasps) The second thing is that I don't know what taxes are going to be when I retire. They might be less. They probably won't be. So I'd rather pay the tax now. The Roth IRA is not the investment itself. And if you're listening, you're kind of like tuning me out. Like this is like one actionable thing that is so important. It is not like a bank account where you put money into the bank account and you're good. You have to do step two. The Roth IRA is simply the account. You have to put the money into a Roth IRA and then go choose your investments like stocks, index funds, et cetera. So many people just put the money in the Roth IRA and then they're like, cool, I'm invested. You're not. It's in financial purgatory. It's just sitting on the sidelines. And I have so many people who come... I literally did a book signing event in Seattle last week. And somebody was like, I have been contributing to a Roth IRA for five years, but I've never actually invested the money. And you lose tens, if not hundreds, if not millions of dollars by not actually doing step two. But no one's talking about this because the Wall Street bros just think it's a given because no one explains this. So they're not going to explain it to you. And again, not so conspiracy theory is that if they don't teach you, you don't know, and thus you're not building wealth. So Roth IRA is the thing that holds the investments. Sorry. So once you do that, who tells you how to invest that money? Like who's deciding it? And how much do you need? Tell us that too. Because I think for me, I used to be like, well, I can't invest. I don't have an extra like 50 grand laying around. Like how much do you need to start this? Couple hundred bucks. (gasps) Couple hundred bucks. So you can, if you have a couple hundred bucks laying around, you can start. Yep. And then you keep adding to it. So I have an entire investing education platform that I co-created where we guide you through a one-on like a, a group workshop, a like investing 101 workshop where I teach you what is a stock, what is a bond, what is an index fund, what is a Roth IRA, and then actually live on the workshop people invest. So we have $31 million invested on the platform and the majority of that is by women who have never invested before. This is their first time investing. And we like to think one, I explain it in a way that's way less complicated. But two, it's really not that complicated. And again, not so conspiracy theory is that they men have told you it's complicated to inflate their own egos and so you don't do it. 
All right. Now is the season to get on your athletic greens. I'm going to just make it really simple. The it's weather time. is changing. It's like it's cold, then it's hot, and it just lowers your immune system. Like more people have colds, the flu, all those things. You really need to get a hold of your health. And it's 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 overwhelming. You don't know where to begin, what to start, where to start with. This is a great way to start. It's not asking too much of you. It's one scoop. So AG1, it is one scoop. And in that one scoop, it is 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, your green superfood blend, and more in one serving. It's literally for the lazy person's it's attempt like, at being healthy. It's crazy. If it's you like, are refusing to do anything else and you just want to do one thing, then this yeah. should be the thing that you do. People ask about what you know what's in it. There is only one gram of added sugar, okay? There are no GMOs. There's no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. And that is important, you guys. A lot of this stuff has all that crap. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. If you visit athleticgreens.com slash foster today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash foster to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. Bowl and branch, guys. Bowl and branch. Organic bedding. I mean, you need organic bedding, guys. There's a lot, a lot of stuff coming out about all the unhealthy forever chemicals and all the chemicals that are put on um, fabrics and how they're treated. Bowl well, and they're branch. talking about clothes. Everyone's talking about like, oh my God, the clothes. It's like, think about the bedding. The clothes you're just putting on, you know, occasionally the bedding every day of your life. You're laying in that. So look into this. I promise you, you don't think about it. You're like, oh, will it make a difference? It will long-term. You spend half your life or in Aaron's case, a third of your life mm -hmm. in bed. I'd say like 90% of my yeah, life is in bed. 90% of your life. They are made with the softest 100% organic cotton that you've ever felt. It is such good quality. And they get softer with every wash. They do, but they don't even need to because they're so soft. It's also more than bedding. They have actual pillow inserts. They have your duvet. They have the towels. Mm -hmm. They have everything you need. Because you have to remember you're breathing this stuff all night. You're like sweating at night. It's yeah, going into your pores. Yeah, but there are also people that don't care. They're like, yo, I don't care. They just, and that's fine. They're just like, we don't care if it's organic or not. So then that's fine. It's still the softest. So make the most of bedtime with Bowl & Branch sheets. You can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code FOSTER15 at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bull and Branch, B-O-L-L and branch.com. Promo code is FOSTER15. Listen, our generation growing up in the 90s as women, it was unheard of to be a female investing. Like, I just, oh, yeah. it was like, oh no, you have to be like a rich, like lawyer to be able to you do You have that. to be Leo DiCaprio and Wolf of Wall Street yelling into a phone. Like, what, that's your only option. It was truly, we didn't start investing until our mid-30s because <laughs> it just never even felt attainable. Yeah, so we talk about the pay gap a lot, right? Like 82 cents to a man's dollar, worse if you're a woman of color, right? And we have to keep talking about that. But we're not talking about the wealth or investing gap. Women are either waiting longer to start or they're not getting started at all. They think just putting their money in a savings account is enough. But then women live seven years longer on average than men do. So less money because of the wage gap. It's growing at a slower rate and then we're expected to live longer on that money. That equation makes no fucking sense, right? And it's like, Saving your money is so important, but you have to invest. The average person will not be able to retire if they don't invest. And so it's very, very common for women to either wait a very long time 
or to also just not invest at all. But Tori, what do you say to the woman, guys? Everyone's fucking living paycheck to paycheck now. Like, let's be real. Mm -hmm. Like people that have really good jobs are living paycheck to paycheck. They're like, there's nothing left to do that. So like, what do you say? Are you like, well, fucking figure it out. Like find a cheaper place. What do you say? I, I would never say that. We we don't do shame or judgment. So but you it's know like, what I'm saying. I'm saying like yeah. No no no. I know. We I actually gave an interview with Money Magazine right before I I hopped on with you both, and somebody asked me like, what do you say to somebody living paycheck to paycheck? And in our society, there's kind of like two paycheck to paycheck versions. There is paycheck to paycheck that people still have a Netflix account and people are doing fine. Right. And, and then have a paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> right. Where yeah. truly two people like they don't have anything. They don't have anything. They are honest to God living paycheck to paycheck to disregard the systemic oppression, which is basically impossible for just a second. At the individual level, you either have an earning problem or you have a spending problem. That is all of money problems. It's either you're not earning enough or you're spending what you have. Right. Not earning enough means simply you're just you're you don't have enough coming in to be able to pay your bills and also save money, or you're making a good salary, but you're spending beyond your means. Yeah. A friend right? of mine asked to borrow money and he had a Range Rover. I was like, I just I'm sorry. Huh. I, I can't yeah. that doesn't that's not a paycheck to paycheck, yeah. right? That's the situation yeah. where people can say I live paycheck to paycheck, and I'm like, until you have like that's not honest to God paycheck to paycheck, and it's kind of gaslighty to the people who actually live paycheck to paycheck. So in terms of spending problems are a lot easier to fix because you do have some flexibility. So in the book, we have an entire chapter about mindful spending. And I ask people to highlight the three areas in their life where they get the most joy from their discretionary spend. I call these their three value categories. So for me, it's travel, food out, and I don't know if we're doing the video of this, but plants. I have like just in my office, probably, oh my God, like 14, 15 plants. Like I love them. They're my babies. I will occasionally buy a coffee. I'll occasionally go to TJ Maxx. And if there's a sweater sale, yeah, I'm in there like swimwear. However, I am not so like focused on spending money on everything because I'm saying, okay, I am not going to spend money on this thing because I would rather spend it on something I love, right? I'm not going to spend money on this coffee today because it gets me one step closer to going on a trip, right? Or it gets me, you know, one step closer to a dinner, which is something that I really love. You don't have to stop spending money. You just need to stop spending money on shit you don't care about, mm-hmm. right? Okay, I have a question. A, yeah. a, like a logistics question. So investing money is risky. Like we have an investment fund and- Doesn't have to be, but we'll talk about that. Well, Keep that's going. why I want to- well, we're, uh, we're in early stage venture, which is risky. That is like yeah, a, a different world. I'm sure it's a very different thing, but I want to understand when you say you put your money into this Roth IRA, but then yep. you have to start investing it. Aren't investments risky? Like, can't you lose that money? Like, how do you, I, I really want to understand like on like a granular level, yep. how you figure out like, what are you allowed to invest that money in? Is it like government investments? Like, like what, like, is it in like a new company that just came out? Like index funds are less, I'll let you answer it, but no, you, but you got it though. No, super common question. And this is part of why we do a workshop is plenty of people like sign up for Fidelity or Vanguard and then they're dropped in and they're like, I have no idea what any of this means. It's graphs and charts and it's jargon. And like, how do I not lose money? So couple things. One, There are some investing, like the Leo DiCaprio yelling into a phone, day trading 
shorting stocks like that GameStop shit that we saw a couple of years ago. That is risky. A hundred percent. I would argue that's not investing. That's gambling. If you're doing it as a game, it's a gamble, right? Just like if you're, you know, going to the horse races or you're going to the casino, like it is a gamble. It is a game. That is not long-term investing. The very definition of the word invest is to spend time, energy, money on something for an extended period, right? You are like, if you're investing in yourself, right? It's not like you go to the gym and you walk out Dwayne The Rock Johnson, right? You have to keep going to the gym. And it's the same way with investing. We are investing for years, if not decades, right? Retirement, these like long-term goals. So one of the ways you can mitigate your risk is not just investing in an individual company, like let's say Amazon or Bumble or Stitch Fix or Johnson & Johnson or PepsiCo. You can invest in a bunch of different companies, which as you mentioned, is what's called an index fund or can be an index fund. Which is considered one of the lowest risk investments, yeah. right? But it's something that is not going to pay very off low in fees as well. Years. But like no one's talking about that on TikTok because it's not sexy. And I say investing should not be sexy. It should be stable and consistent and over a long period of time. Like a good right? husband. Yeah, sure. But you just I, hit the actually, nail on I have the a head. friend of mine who explains investing as like it, the day trading in the stocks are like, you know, the Italian guy you meet on a trip who's like, this is fun. And then like index funds are the, you know, the, the kind of vanilla guys, but who are going to be there and hold you when you cry, you know, like it's, it's, yeah, she has a great, her, her name's Amanda. She runs dumpster doggy and it's a whole investing platform. She's great. But the, the idea with investing specifically, again, is that like, I think one of the narratives we've been taught is like every kind of investing is risky and scary and you're going to lose your money. And the truth is, is you only lose money or gain money if you sell your investment. It's kind of like buying a house, right? Like you can see the house's value go up in Zillow, but you don't actualize that value unless you choose to sell the house or you buy a Dior purse, right? And the Dior purse goes up in value. You don't actually get the money or lose the money unless you choose to sell. It's the same thing with an investment. So like right now, the stock market is down. That's completely normal. You're not going to have this all of the time. But over the last 110 years of the stock market, it has largely gone up. Like you can look at like early 1900s all the way till now, and it is a graph that charts up. But you do have these small little dips, right? You have a 2008 dip, you have a 2020 dip, you have this dip right now, completely and totally normal. And you have not actually lost money or gained money on your investment unless you choose to sell it. And I am buying and not selling for 10, 20, 30 years. Mm, That's so smart. What about, well, I don't want to jump around, but I was gonna say, what about real estate? Is that a Something you invest like what in. Oprah said. It depends. They're not making any I don't land. own property. I'm a multimillionaire who does not own property. And like, I choose to rent for many reasons. One, again, Seattle home prices are really expensive. Two, I'm 28. And like, I did the digital nomad thing over the past year where I was like bopping around living in Airbnbs. And that was great. I also love the convenience of renting. I get to call somebody else and be like, uh, the toilet's overflowing. I don't mm-hmm. want to deal with it. Like, that's great. So I think that there is this like misconception that you're losing money if you're renting. And it's like, no, if this fits the stage in your life, great. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Okay, we are big proponents of therapy. Very. 
Uh, it's really helped Sarah become less of a monster. I would also say it's really helped you become less of so many things. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, and what we love about BetterHelp is that it's making therapy really accessible for everyone. It is affordable. It is all online. You can be paired with someone um, in a matter of hours if, mm -hmm. if needed. And um, it's entirely online. It's flexible. It's affordable. It's really convenient. And they have really good therapists. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and then you can get matched with a licensed therapist you can switch, by the way, anytime. There's no charge for switching if somebody's not right for you. Um, and I think that if you're even considering it or if there's anything you want to work on in your life, it's a really, really easy way to to like dip your toe into therapy. Look, the days of like, you know, bettering yourself, only being associated with people who were well off, they're just over. Like better help has totally democratized bettering yourself through therapy. And it's just... I, I mean, I know people that could have net that therapy was not attainable for them, you know, 10 years ago. And it is now through BetterHelp. Mm -hmm. And um, we can't speak highly enough about this. Also, guys, here's the thing. Mm. If you're listening, there is nobody, there is nobody that would not benefit from a therapist. There's, just, there's just not. I agree. So if you want to live a more empowered life, then therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash foster today to get 10% off your first month. That is betterhelp.com slash foster. Also, I want to know how you made your first 100,000. Sure. One, privilege. I graduated college debt-free, which was a combination of my parents uh, saving money for college and also me working jobs and getting merit scholarships, but would not have hit that 100K as quickly as I did if I had student debt. Um, I'm also a cisgendered straight white woman who was able to go to college. Huge privilege. So that's the first thing. Second thing is I started investing really early. I opened up my Roth IRA when I was 21, 22 and was maxing it out every year. So I was not just making money, but my money was making money, making money, making money because of compound interest, which is simply when your interest earns interest, earns interest, right? It's what makes debt so hard. <laughs> and it's what makes investing so great. So I started investing really early. Sorry. Who was making your investment choices at 22? Me, with the help of my dad. Okay, so is your dad in finance? Is that where you get this nope, from? No, but that's his hobby. His hobby. He loves the stock market. He goes to his investing club every week. He watches stocks. He reads books. That was like, I, I should have started with that. We usually do the whole like, Tori, what's your story? But like, I I had an, a great education about money from my parents. And I didn't realize that was a privilege until I was the friend all of my friends were coming to for advice and guidance. And I realized, oh, no, you don't know how to not overspend on credit cards. You don't know how to save money. Oh, this isn't normal. And so that's part of, that's probably the biggest reason I do the work that I do is with privilege comes responsibility. It's like, I have this information. I have a really good way of teaching it. This is what I believe I was put on this earth to do is give this advice that I both had and that I became obsessed with. I graduated college and was like, what sort of things can I learn about money? And it wasn't because I'm a finance nerd. Again, I majored in theater. I hate spreadsheets. I do, I'm not like great at math. It was just like, wow, if I want to travel, I need money. If I want to start a business, I need money. If I want to donate to causes I believe in, if I want to tip, if I want to go to therapy, unfortunately, I need money. So investing was part of it. I also, we were talking about mindful spending before. I was really focused on just spending money on the things that I loved. I still traveled internationally. I still went out to eat. I didn't like eat oatmeal every night to get my 100K. Like I found the balance. I was also automating my savings. And if there's like one thing that you take away from this conversation, dear listener, automate your savings, set up an automatic transfer from your checking account to your savings account so that the money is being saved without you even having to think about it. 
It's like you're another bill. You're like paying yourself first. And then her first 100K was a side hustle. So I was saving a percentage of my nine to five income automatically. And then everything after taxes and expenses that I earned with her first 100K was money that I got to put away. Wow. So what was the percentage you were saving? At my peak, I was saving 27% of my take-home pay. That's a lot. On gross or net pay? Net pay. And how... Wait, but how much was going to taxes? This is this. I had already paid my taxes. This was like of my nine to five income. It was, I would get a pers- I would get my paycheck, which already had taxes taken right, out. Paycheck, right. Yeah, yeah. And then oh, this it. was back when I was still a nine to fiver is I was, you know, I was getting my paycheck, which already had taxes out. And then I was setting aside 27%. Now that 27% I worked up to, that was Got not it. like right out of college. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the beginning of my career. It was like, I like to joke that you have to find the number that feels sticky where it's like, you're not completely depriving yourself, but you're also not bawling out all the time either. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, okay, this feels a little difficult and that's actually good, right? It's like, it's a little sticky mm-hmm. where, okay, I can go out to eat twice, but oh, three times a week is probably pushing it, right? Or something like that. And can I, and I don't mean to keep circling back to this, but can you no. give us an example of how you made the decision of what you did invest in? Were you like, I really love to drink Coca-Cola, so that's what I'm gonna invest in. I love mm. my Apple computer, so I'm gonna invest in that. Like, how did you make those decisions? Great question. So we were talking about before about how individual stocks are like potentially risky, right? Because like if I invest in Delta Airlines and there's say a global pandemic that basically grounds air travel, I'm kind of fucked, right? Mm-hmm. So I have some individual stocks. I literally only have, and I only purchased them like two years ago. I own Bumble and Shopify for purely that like emotional reason. I love Bumble's mission. I love, you know, what they do as a company. I wanted to support that even though I probably knew the stock wasn't going to be great. And also we've been like partners with Shopify. Shopify has sponsored like uh, engaged speaking engagements I've done and I like them as a company. Everything else I have invested, 99.5% of the money I have invested is in index funds. And index funds again are like groups of stocks. So rather than just investing in, in an individual company, you can invest in 300 companies or even the entire stock market. So I teach this more in our investing workshops and I'm happy to send you the link for everybody, but like literally being able to put the money in the Roth IRA and then choose like something like an index fund, Mm -hmm. it's low fee and it's low risk because it's already diversified. So you can put like... $500 $500 into what someone else decides like, okay, here's an index fund. You, yep. I'm giving you $500. And then that person is like spreading it out amongst these other companies. And then, and then you get the money back when all of them are doing well. Or you well. can give a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it, you yeah, know, and it's, it's not the like a person. There's some funds. This is like in the weeds. There's some funds that are actively managed and it actually means you're paying an additional fee to a complete stranger. Who's actually statistically terrible at his job. And like, Index funds you are so low in fee. It's literally 0.03% in fees, which means $3 per $10,000. And the fee is like baked into the price of the fund. And it's basically like a convenience fee because you could go out hypothetically and buy, okay, I'm going to have one share of Amazon and I'm going to have one share of Coke and I'm going to have one share of this and buy one share of the entire US stock market. But one, shit ton of work. No one's got time for that. I need to watch Timothy Chalamet YouTube compilations. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is you're going to pay over $200,000 to do that as opposed to pay $200 for an index fund like VTI that's done all that work for you. Wow. Okay, so you're not diversified. You're not that diversified in the public markets. Is that because you don't believe in them? They're too risky? It's just you're not- You're talking about the public markets. What do you mean? Like Bumble and Shopify are your only 
only oh, investments. Oh yeah, they're all in there, but they're all in that index fund, right? Because right. VTI, for example, has every single company in the U.S. stock market. So I have tiny little slivers of every single company in the U.S. stock market by investing in something like VTI. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. So when you went and you did your Bumble investment and your Shopify investment, did you- I was paying for a whole share of that company for, you know, what was Bumble at the time, like $75. Right. right? So that was my question. Are you looking at those companies buying at the high? Are you waiting for the dip? Are you like, I don't care. I'm just going to get in. Time in the market is better than timing the market. Mm, that's good. Time you cannot, in the market wow. is better than timing. I didn't come up with this. This has been, somebody has been saying this for years. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like, you cannot time the stock market. No one can. And even the professionals who get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year are terrible at it. We give an example in the book. Um, there was a story in Forbes a while ago about a cat picking stocks, outperforming the professional stock picker. No. <laughs> Like, so this idea that like you can pick the hot stock and, you know, you're going to wait till the opportune time. I'm a financial expert. I can't do that. No one else can do that. No, it's like guessing it's the weather. not the average person, right? So it's like, just put money in the stock market, make sure it's well diversified and then watch it grow over years, if not decades. What are the biggest mistakes that people make with money? That's a question someone had. One is putting their money in an investing account, not actually investing it. Mm-hmm. Two is spending a bunch of money on shit that they don't care about. Mm. I think three is not offering themselves grace and being really ashamed of their previous choices, shaming themselves, going to other experts like Dave Ramsey, who is yelling at them and telling them that they should feel ashamed and not acknowledging systemic oppression at all. Um, I think four is waiting to the end of the month to start saving when they don't have any money, right? Mm. Is if you wait to the end of this month to start saving and then there's nothing left over, there's the, there's nothing to save, right? So setting up that automatic transfer, paying yourself first is huge. Um, and then I would think five, we were talking about, of course, systemic oppression before, but like just control what you can control and then vote and protest and donate your time, your money, your energy to all of the things that are actually going to make the world better for everybody. Fuck the stress of good advice. That's such good advice. Stress, the stress of, Oh my God, how am I going to get that last, you know, 800 bucks for rent is so not worth that Gucci purse you bought. It's just not like the high and the feeling of buying that thing that, you know, you shouldn't be buying because you think it's going to make you feel so good. And maybe it does for like, you know, the day or a few hours compared to the stress of, oh, fuck, I don't have enough for my car. If you can't pay your car payment, you should definitely not be buying a Gucci bag. No, but guys, let's be honest. We are living in a social media crazed time where people that can't, you know, don't know how they're going to pay rent are still getting their $500 Botox. I mean, that's just the reality. Like, well, and I would say that, again, this comes back to like, there's two different kinds of living paycheck to paycheck. There are living paycheck to paycheck because they are overspending or spending on things that don't bring them joy or they are sacrificing their their water bill for a Gucci purse. But then the real paycheck to paycheck is a Gucci purse. They don't even know how to pronounce Gucci, right? That's like not even, that's not even a thing. I think our audience is probably, and I'm part of this too. I think our audience is probably the person that is spending too much, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to- It'd be interesting to pull. I would actually really be interested in that because the majority of my audience are people out here just trying to survive. Yeah. I mean, I think we have a combination, but I mean, we're like- white privileged women. So we probably have some white privileged women listening to us. And, and, um, 
But like I, the joy, that, the things that I think that money gives, like I don't really care about stuff. I'm not like a spender, but the thing that I get really excited about when I have started making money, it was like kind of the stuff you were saying earlier. I would go to a baby shower and actually be able to bring a gift. I would, and yeah. this is not like, obviously Sarah and I were never poor or anything, but I was like very against taking money from my parents. So I lived as if I like couldn't, you know, yeah. make more money because I was desperate to like prove myself and prove something to my parents. So I had a lot of anxiety around it. So I didn't spend money on anything. And it's like getting out of the car and like, and going to a restaurant, like tipping someone that you want to tip and bringing a gift somewhere and like being able to be generous with a friend or like not split the bill and be like petty about it. Like you ordered the iced tea, you know, I don't like, it's like, just that's the stuff that for me, having money gives you, it's like, you get to be the kind of person that you want to be. You don't show up without a gift, you know? It's like, it's like you read my book. Money means options. It means Mm. choices. And in a world that constantly demands you play small and constantly takes away your choices and your options. I want every, I want that feeling for every single woman. I want the feeling of, I'm not talking like Yves Saint Laurent luxury, but luxury just being, I can rest when I want to rest. I can afford these small things that bring me joy. I can treat myself and the people around me really well. I can, uh, again, leave toxic situations I don't want to be in anymore and put myself into good ones. I can donate to causes I believe in. I can start a business. I can have kids or not have kids or travel or buy a house or not buy a house or get married or not get married. Like, No longer is it, I don't have enough money to do that or I need money, so I'm going to do this. It is purely... Nope. If this is not working for me, I don't have to stay here. And instead, I'm going to find something that does feel good and nourishing and fulfilling. And that is the feeling I want for every woman. And we were talking about before, then like under capitalism, like why why write the book at all? Why do this work at all? And it's like, I think if we have more women with the ability to play big, more women taking up space, more women being able to leave violent marriages and toxic jobs and uh, unsafe if housing, because they have the money to do so, I think that's how we start changing. My financial freedom for me, really, like my numero uno thing is like, I, I am financially freedom for the first free for the first time in my life. I don't rely on like my whole thing is I don't want to, I don't want to be in a transactional relationship. I don't want to have to treat you a certain way because you're putting a roof over my head or you're paying my bills. Like that stresses me out to a point I don't want to ever feel like, well, I can't tell that person how I really feel because they they'll they won't pay my rent or they'll whatever. Like, and this is a this is a thing that happens and for the like not for the first time, but it just feels so fucking good to not have to treat someone, you know, like for me, that's like what makes me horny. Whoa, whoa, Sarah. Sorry. Sarah's horny. I am so horny right now. Um but also, Aaron, when, little things like buying our mom's plane tickets, like that feels so much better I know. than I, like that I, pair of Manolo shoes. Yeah, I agree. I've been doing that more than you have. I bought her last two trips to Dallas. Um, but yeah, let's the not, feeling. Let's not compete the, on who's the feeling, spent more money on mom. Yeah, okay? but the feeling that like when our mom realized that we like upgraded her and you know didn't know that that was happening and called us yeah. like almost emotional, like I feel so spoiled. I can't believe. I mean, the seat is too big for me. Like I shouldn't even be here. This is crazy. I'm just like just so overwhelmed. Like that is yeah. That is what to me is so fun about making money is like. You get to do things like that. All right, we okay, got so questions. I, I want to switch to a lot of questions about debt. And, and debt is, Great. I have a big question about it because 
everything we're talking about in like saving 20% of your, and again, you said you didn't have debt. So you were able to do that. And I know that you, I had you, a car loan, but I did not have student debt. You didn't yeah. know student debt. So a lot of people have student debt, which is yep. like fucked up in the first place that you're like, you know, and by the way, really rich people are in debt. Like, well, a lot of we call actually, it leverage when you're rich. That's the interesting thing. A right. Lot and they're living off interest. It's called something different depending on how much money you have. And it's not seen as a bad thing. It's actually seen as the like smart, savvy exactly. choice, which is like, you'll see a bunch of people who have a bunch of money buy homes and take out a mortgage when they could afford to pay it in cash. And that's actually a smart decision financially. That's just the interesting thing. This is why yeah. this all is so fucked up. Well, so what do you do? So let's say a person who's listening right now is yep. 29 and she's like, okay, well now I want to start saving, but I make, I make an okay living, but I also am paying off a student debt. So all my extra money that I'm not spending on rent and everything like that goes to pay off my student debt. How does that person start spending or start, start saving? So actually before we pay off any debts, Oh, more aggressively, right? Beyond just like your minimum payments or your monthly payments, you actually need an emergency fund first. And I talk about this in the book. I talk about this on the podcast. We talk about this so much. But emergency funds are the priority for two reasons. One, I don't want you going into more debt trying to pay for an emergency because one will inevitably come up. And two, we prioritize mental health at her first 100K and something just about like your head hitting the pillow at night and knowing that you have something in the bank is just like so comforting and reassuring because you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm good for at least a little bit of time, right? So again, we were talking about automatic transfer. Even if it's just 20 bucks a month, if you can set aside an automatic transfer from your checking account to your savings account where that's happening on an autopilot without you having to think about it, your savings will start to build. We also talk incessantly about what's called a high yield savings account, which is just like an everyday savings account, except they're offering like three and a half, four percent interest as opposed to like pennies. And again, compound interest is super important. It's your interest earning interest earning interest. And you want every single dollar, especially right now, that you can get. So put your money in a savings account that is a high yield savings account. We have a link to one on our website. I can also send you one if you want to put it in show notes, but literally. Automate your savings first, even if it's just a small amount of money, and make sure it's going into a high-yield savings account to give you as much money and to have your money work as hard for you as it can. That's such good advice. 20 bucks a month, like it does add up, especially if you're putting in a yeah. fund like that where you're building on top of that in the fun, in the in the savings account. Okay, that's really good advice. Can you talk to us about like emotional spending? Oh yeah. Because oh, yeah. I think I'm an emotional spender. And by the way, a lot of people are like, you've had a bad day. You, your boyfriend dumped you. Your girlfriend dumped you. Whatever totally it is. Normal. Like, yeah, it's just like any other vice, right? Like you have a hard day at work. It's like glass of wine, right? It's the same thing. It's like, I'm going to go on to, I'm going to swipe up on this Instagram ad and buy wrinkle preventing stickers, which is a real thing I did during the pandemic. I don't know if it prevented my wrinkles. I don't know. Oh I yeah, yeah. I've used those before. I emotionally spend on my husband because I, I think it'll make him like me. And I get excited for him to get excited oh, to get a gift. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, male gaze, super fun. Mm -hmm. um, but really, I think that emotional spending is, again, do not shame yourself. Do not judge yourself. Do not be like, I'm a piece of shit. Instead, you're an anthropologist in your own life. And we talk about this in the book where it's just like, oh, interesting. I bought that pair of shoes I did not need and did not want because my boss made me feel like shit today. Interesting. Right. And you're just realizing your patterns and being more mindful of them. And you notice, of course, the response wasn't, I'm a piece of shit for buying, for buying this pair of shoes. It's just like, interesting that that happened. Interesting that I got triggered because I had a rough day. So what can I do instead when I have a rough day in the future? 
And sometimes you are going to spend money. I bought a $75 pregnancy pillow called a snoogle at the beginning of the pandemic. Am I pregnant? No. Am I becoming pregnant? No. But did I need that snoogle? Yes. Was it the best decision I've ever made? Yes. It's great. It's great. And like, sometimes that's going to happen, right? But like being aware of why you're doing something and if there's a different choice you can make that would actually make your life better, make that one instead. Very good advice. Why do we, like, I know for me, I'm like afraid to know what the balance in my account is. Like, I'm afraid. Yeah, we call that the ostrich effect. You're literally, it's like you've read my book. Everything's in here. I sound like a minor bird, but I'm like, everything's in the book because like all of these things are com- so common. But yeah, we call, we talk about the ostrich effect, which is this bury your head in the sand, act like your problems don't exist. I'm not going to look at my bank account. I'm not going to check my debt balance because it's just easier not to know. But the truth is you're going to have to know eventually. <sighs> and I need you to get comfortable being uncomfortable. So like wrap yourself in a down comforter cocoon, get yourself a glass bottle of wine and just like, look at your money. Yeah. Financial self-care, right? You're just going to look at your money and it's going to be uncomfortable the first couple of times, but here's the deal. I mean, there's a million sitcom tropes, tropes about this, right? Like Michael from the office, like buying professional bass fishing equipment and Mm -hmm. Andy and April from Parks and Rec putting all their bills in the freezer, right? Like this is very common because it's just easier not to look at it. But it will come back to haunt you at some point. Mm-hmm. And so rather than being like, oh my God, that's I this is so painful. I don't want to do it. Make it something you can look forward to. Maybe it's takeout from your favorite restaurant. Maybe it's, you know, you're doing it like while you're watching your favorite show. Make it as comfortable as possible. And also again, realize that money is not the enemy. Money is controlling you. And you need to be in control of your money. Mm-hmm. But also your money look should at your not be finances, controlling you. And I would think have an actionable plan. Right? Mm-hmm. Like while you're doing it, then have a plan. Yes. I had my Wi Fi drop. I don't know why. That's okay. We were just all saying nice things about you. Also, oh, thanks. just to be clear, um, not to call them out, but they just said that I could. Montana, um, our assistant, was, you know, bragging to us about how she had this Roth IRA. Well, she learned from you about 20 minutes ago that she actually hasn't invested it in anything. Oh, it's just been sitting there. For how long, oh. Montana? A year and a half. She thought that she had it all oh. saved. Baby girl, you are not alone. It is so common. Can we keep this in the episode? Because I want people to feel less alone. Like, yeah, Montana, as long as you're okay with that. But like, so common. So fucking Montana, common. You just and like, the easiest way to check is it's like, if your balance has not changed at all, if it has not gone up and it has not gone down, you're probably not invested. Okay. okay. Montana is the CEO of our lives. Okay. She I love it. is paid very Hi. well. Okay. But like this as is- As she should be. As she should be. She is 29. And she is on your journey. Yes, 100%. And I've just found out from this episode that I have not actually invested the money that I've been putting in the Roth IRA. Where did you learn about a Roth IRA? I'm pretty sure I can't remember for sure, but I think it was from one of your TikToks. I can't. Cool. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember for sure. It was like a year ago or something. But um, hey, but um, happy. but I didn't obviously listen enough to know that it's I had okay. To do a second, it's okay. So. But you know now, right? And hopefully everybody out there knows now. Um, and that's why I do the work that I do, and that's why I scream it from the rooftops because it's like no one taught us this. No one taught us how to navigate money. And um, uh, yeah. It's like, it's so common. Do you so save common. a piece of your paycheck, every paycheck, not to get too personal here? Um, I, yeah, I do. Like I, um, like I do kind of like the portion thing that you do. I wish it was more, um, yeah. but, um, but I do that. I do the, um, the Roth IRA, which I don't do a lot, but that just automatically gets taken. You know what? I actually had a question Good. Yeah. Um, yes. about the Roth IRA because 
because it comes since I do it myself, like it doesn't come out of, I know that it's better if you do it before taxes, right? Or something like that. Am I, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Sorry if this sounds stupid. No, I mean, there's no stupid questions. So ever, like, I, like, um, I, get my, I get like my paycheck from them and then, I, and then it just transfers out of my account into the Roth IRA. Am I doing that right? Yep, you're doing exactly the right thing. Okay, great. So yeah, you're doing great. Great. Never mind then. You see, you just, make sure just make sure you're investing it. Yeah, I, know. I say it's a two-step process. It's like a gift card, right? Like you put $50 on the TJ Maxx gift card and now you need to go buy plants and candles and throw pillows, right? You put money into the Roth IRA. Now you need to go choose your stocks or your index funds to actually purchase. But that's a whole other beast yeah. that you need to learn. How is she supposed to know? Well, she, she's got to follow your guide and you're yes. doing this all like online? Yeah, it's on the, I have a Fidelity account. If that's yep. a good place to do yep. it. I say you invest in an index fund. Oh, okay. Thank you, Erin, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. for that. I just learned what that is. Yeah, I, I also <laughs> have down too. <laughs> it's nice to meet you, Montana. Thank you. Um, all right. I don't um, know where we were in the middle before okay, I dropped so off. I think we were talking about, were we still talking about debt or no? I think so. I get an email every week, every month from my business manager showing, saying like, here's how much you're, you have in your bank account. And I swear to you, I've never opened the email. I, I do not look at oh, it. Oh, open that email. Girl. I just, I know it's scary. I, I, know I don't want to know. Like, it's just like, again, I think that money, if if money is the thing that's controlling you, you need to be in control of your money, right? Like if you are making decisions because you are not looking at your money, <laughs> it's like, I think that it's, it is so scary and I get it. It's also a tool again, to build the life that you love. And if you want all of the things that you want out of life, you need to have a better relationship with money. It's just like, if you want to have a great relationship with a romantic partner, you have to check in. It can't be like, as one of you's leaving for work or one of you's wrangling the children, right? You like need yeah. to have designated time to talk about your relationship and what you can be doing better or what somebody, you know, I think that also something you said, something you said that was so important was just be, be, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And it, the truth is With that every aspect everything of your life good happens has that growth way. ever felt comfortable. No. no. And it's no. never as bad as you think it's going to be. The anxiety no. about it is always worse than the actual thing. What do you think 100%. when you hear people say you got to spend money to make money? I think it's a bunch of bullshit personally, but I mean, it depends. It depends on if you're a business owner, what kind of business you run. Um, I don't know. It depends. I I mean, we have both free and like paid advice here at her first hundred K. And I think our free advice is pretty great. And I think our paid advice is pretty great. And so like a lot of people, especially like we do an investing workshop that is paid because like people want to be guided step by step because they're nervous about it. Um, but like I, we literally have like on the page that lists the workshop, like if this is your last $99, no, we don't want your last $99. Like, yeah, that is better used somewhere else. Like, yeah. please don't give us the money that you need in order to live, in order for us to teach you how to money. I mean, you've covered this a lot just throughout. Like, you've weaved it in through the conversation. But how do you release shame around money? Like, just is it yeah. just like... I think it's being conscious of that shame. It's also not um, getting advice from people who make you feel ashamed. The amount of times people have said like, Dave Ramsey makes me feel like shit, but he works. And I'm like, I also work and I like to think I don't make you feel like shit. Like... There, it's not, it's, you don't need tough love. That's okay. You can get love and, and empathy and shame-free advice that is also going to, you know, make you rich. Can you just walk us through quickly how to structure a budget? And I know we, everyone can like join your, you know, your newsletter, follow you on TikTok, we got all a, the yeah, things. We got a just, whole chapter about budgeting in the book, but basically automating your savings like, helps everything else fall into place. Because again, if you are doing the hard thing first, if you're saving money first, then the money that's left over in your checking account is either for your necessary expenses or for fun stuff. 
Amazing. This is like so helpful. Everybody needs to get your book. Thank you. What's the best way to ask for a raise? Good question. Um, Montana, plug your ears. <laughs> you're asking. I will say it louder. You are asking data-driven people for money. You need to bring data into the conversation. So that's data about what other people are getting paid with your experience in your city, with your education. And you also need to demonstrate what value you have added to the organization. Again, it's... I know I'm plugging it so hard, but we have entire chapters. We have an entire chapter about earning in the book as well. Data and value add are the two big things because you need to demonstrate like why you are asking for this and why you're getting paid this. And then the second is it's like, how have you saved the company money? How have you managed certain team members? How have you put out fires? How have you saved the company money? Right. That's the best way to be able to ask. I like is what you're saying. saying. Hey, other people are making this and I'm being undercompensated right now. And based on everything that I've done in the past year, or the past six months, here's, you know what I should go you know, with your opinion, go with facts. But you're like so many young people and we see it all the time. Like young people, they start the job. They're like kind of half-assing it. They're like so many sick days. They're like, I'm going to work from home a couple days a week. Then they roll in. And then six months later, they're like, okay, I'm ready for a raise. And you're like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. What makes you think you should be getting a raise? Young people right now are very entitled to like get a raise for no reason at all. Yeah. If you're not doing your job, you don't get to ask for a raise. Uh huh. (laughs) It's Uh like if you are average, if you are just like C students, you don't get to ask for a raise. Exactly. I wish I also manage, I manage 15 people. We're a company of 15. And I think almost half of them are Gen Z. And they're some of the hardest working, most dedicated, passionate people I know. So that's good to hear. Do you feel yeah. like in like when you look at like New York City, LA, like the most expensive cities in the world, do you say to people like, listen, at all costs, just yeah, live there, take on five roommates, have that quality of life? Or are you like, yo, move to a more affordable city and to get to a place where then personal finance is personal. And it's like, I love New York. I would not I'll no offense to anybody listening in like Iowa. I don't want to live in Iowa. I don't want to live in Kansas. Like that's just not what I want to do. And um I think that again this is where almost every answer for me is like we need policy change, but truly like these cities are too expensive. They are expensive for anybody. They're expensive for somebody making six figures, they're expensive for somebody making minimum wage. And it's like that is not an individual problem, that is a systemic problem. Yep. Well, Tori, I'm a huge fan of yours now. Can we just end it with this? I mean, you can, can ask, end it with one more you question. You can ask Tori. She yeah. has a heart okay. out those 15 okay. minutes I think ago. this should be the last question. Okay. What is the one thing you wish everyone knew in their early 20s about finances? That it's not as complicated as people make it out to be. And it's also a, you don't have to be like good at math. That is the thing I hear from women all the time. And we actually did an episode on my podcast about how like the whole good with math narrative is actually something, again, that is ingrained in girls as they grow up, it's like, like, oh, you're bad at math or, oh, like, it's like a default setting. We either think we have the gene or we don't. We have the good with money gene or we don't. We have the good at math gene or we don't. All of these things can be learned. All of these things can be taught. And again, money is emotional. It is not actually like numerical. It is you using it as a tool to build the life that yeah, you Yeah, and I'll also add, it's never too early to start and it's never too late never to start. Never too early, never, and it's too, never late. too late. I say like, that all the time too. Just never go. too early, never too late. 18 or 88, great time to start. Or like my daughter's 12. I got her that green card thing, which I'd love to know your oh, yeah. opinion on at another time. What's the green card thing? 
Well, it's like a way for kids to learn about money and managing mm-hmm. it. And That's I'm cool. sure you have opinions about it, Tori, but we would love for you to come back because I would love to know how to instill healthy financial patterns for my daughters who are seven. I would love to do that. And 12, yeah. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. I want to instill in them like all the healthy ways, the things that I didn't have. And I think you have to come back. I would love that. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Tori. You're awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you like this podcast, leave a rating and review. This podcast is executive produced by... Can you not use that voice? I'm sorry, I'm trying to sound... Yeah, but you don't need to make it sexy. This podcast is executive produced by... Do you have a normal voice? Yeah. Aaron Foster, Sarah Foster, and Allison Bresnick. Okay, I'll take over. Our Our associate associate producer is Montana McBurney. Our audio engineer is Josh Windish. This show is hosted by Simplecast. See, that didn't sound nice. That sounded great.